It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. There was a break for Memorial Day weekend, but we are back in action. <laughs> back in action. It was like last week was so chaotic, Sky. This week was chaos part two. That's right. Again, week two of the Senate doing a ton of work and the House doing a little work too. A lot of questions as to how the House is going to respond to all this Senate action. We talked a little bit about it last week. What the Senate did do this week, they passed a series of bills, all of which are bills that folks know about and are high profile bills. One is the Parents' Bill of Rights. That is the bill that LGBTQ advocates are saying would out students, and proponents of the bill are saying this would give parents more say and know more about what's going on with their kids at school. That's Bill 1. And that passed the Senate Wednesday evening, almost on a party-line vote, except Senator Ben Clark did vote with the Republicans. And he has a history of voting with the Republicans on many social issues, right? That's right. So the second bill that passed was the Medicaid Expansion Plus bill. And what I mean by plus is that that was the Senate leadership's bill that included Medicaid expansion. It included the advanced practice nurses. It also includes CON reform and telehealth. So that bill is a big package of items that Senator Phil Berger actually gave a floor speech about and encouraged senators to work on their House members so that this could cross the finish line. I was in error last week and Representative Gail Adcock corrected me to you in the building. I said... All right, folks, guess who was right? (laughs) My hand is in the air. Yeah, I said the SAVE Act was applicable to both nurses and advanced nurses. It really only applies to advanced nurses. Again, another bill that, like we said last week, the House is saying dead on arrival for the short session, they're willing to look at it, maybe in a special session later this fall, or even pun it to 2023. That's right, but the Senate does have a past pattern of behavior where they can kind of force the House into things, so we'll see how that works out, if that is going to be part of negotiations for the House to get some things that they want, what that looks like in the future is to be seen. Yeah. The last bill that I would note that was pretty big this week was the medical marijuana bill. Now, we'd said last week that it was going to be in rules, and it was in rules on Wednesday and then on the Senate floor on Thursday. So the medical marijuana bill in the Senate wasn't the only bill that moved this week as it pertains to hemp. Yeah. So we talked about in the past, and I think Leader Bell talked about this when he was on the podcast a few weeks ago, that hemp exemption from the Controlled Substances Act, that was something that needed to be codified for hemp growers to continue growing. And that passed the Senate and then came over to the House, but had a li- it, it passed the House, but it had some trouble there. It was noticeable when we looked at the votes after session that that Republican caucus on the House side was really 
almost split down the middle. Votes for it and votes against it. All Democrats supported the bill, but you don't really see that kind of division play out on either chamber floor. And that just gives you a little glimpse into what that medical marijuana debate is going to look like in the House and maybe who is already opposed to it. Wow. For them to want to get out by July 4th, it really just starts to not make sense, right? You think of all these issues that the Senate wants to move, the issues that the House has said, look, we're not interested in. And if the Senate, as you pointed out earlier, they go to their playbook on negotiations, I don't know. It seems like it's going to be another long summer and another long short session. Or will it be a summer where they get out in July, take a break, come back, take a break, come back? Again, to be seen. So are we expecting next week to have the same kind of pace? It seems like the Senate has uh, taken care of all the big issues, right? The state's phasing. Yeah, I think the Senate just might sit back and watch what happens in the House. (laughs) Oh, to be a fly on the wall in that House caucus as they talk about some of these issues that came over. However, I do think that budget will ramp up next week. This week, Speaker Moore had asked folks to talk to their committee chairs about their requests and get those into them. And the big chairs have been meeting jointly, House and Senate. I expect that to continue And maybe we'll start to hear what the number is that they will be spending. We had some news on the House side today as it pertains to a new member was sworn in and a veteran legislator is resigning effective July 8th. Longtime member Representative Greer Martin is leaving to work at the Pentagon. Representative Martin represents a district here in Wake County in Raleigh. He is a veteran of the Afghanistan war. He is a lawyer, and we wish him well, and congratulations on his new job in the Biden administration. And yesterday, we had a new member get sworn in on the House side. Representative Alan Buonzi is taking the place of Representative Verla Insko, who resigned her seat at the end of May. Representative Buonzi was on the House floor yesterday with his beautiful family being sworn in. Congratulations to him. We look forward to working with you at the General Assembly. This week, we got to sit down with Senator Warren Daniel, who's one of the Senate Judiciary Chairs, and we talk about his life, some of the big bucket work he has done since coming into the General Assembly, and what his future looks like. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator Warren Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sky and uh, Brian. Glad to be here. To kick us off, tell us about your district. Where is your district and why do you think your district is special? All right. So currently my district is Burke County where I live. It's Caldwell County and Avery County. Um, In the past, I've represented also Cleveland County. So one of the things that I like to 
say I compete with Ralph Heiss because I've represented from South, the South Carolina border to the Tennessee border at one time or another in my uh, legislative career. Um, what's special about my district? You know, it's a, it's a mountain district. Actually, when I represented Cleveland County, I had elevations as low as 870. Now I've got up to 6,000 when you take in, you know, Grandfather Mountain. So I think one of the things that maybe drew my parents to this area, which is special about my district, is the recreational opportunities. And so, you know, we say that you can drive 45 minutes in any direction and you can do rock climbing, you can canoe, you can hike, um, just so many things that you can do in the outdoors. But some of the key features, of course, are the Linville Gorge, which is a, you know, a federal wilderness area. Um, my wife and I have hiked there recently. We're starting to explore it and realize that the, the trails can't be marked in a wilderness area. So mm -hmm. that's interesting. Um, Grandfather Mountain is a key feature in Avery County. In Caldwell County, we have the Wilson's Creek Wilderness Area. And I guess one of the new additions to my district is the North Carolina School of Science and Math that's located at a Western School in Morganton. So that's exciting. I was glad to play a role in that in the uh, Connect NC bond. So you and your wife, Lydia, who works with you in the Senate. She, and people say she's better at kickball than you. Not me. I heard it on the street. I saw it. <laughs> I saw it in the kickball game. Uh, she's I, competitive. This I, I could tell <laughs> there was some talking on that field during our Do Politics Better kickball game. I understand that you and your wife are avid outdoors people that you hike a lot. We would if we had more time. I think okay. we would really like to spend more, more time hiking. And we used to actually do a, a lot of horseback riding all over, but um, kind of have got out of that when I was in the legislature. So you said the features of your area attracted your parents, and so they are transplants into the area? My dad is from Person County. Okay. My mom was actually from Delaware, so they met in graduate school here in North Carolina. And then I guess when my dad got out of the military, he was a JAG officer. Okay. He um, started you know, job searching across the state and uh, landed in Morganton. Can you talk to us about growing up in this area as a young boy? Um, obviously, I have no other frame of reference, but it, <laughs> um, it was a great place to grow up. You know, I went K through 12 public schools, enjoyed it, played high school baseball and, and marching bands, so had a lot of opportunities, was a Boy Scout. So, mm -hmm. Truth be known, six degrees of separation. You and I have a connection through my wife, my sister-in-law, her brother's wife, Kelly Lowry, Kelly Lowry story is my sister-in-law. Greg is usually there. Greg is Kelly's brother. He's usually at these family gatherings. And there's this story that she tells, and Greg is kind of embarrassed by it a little bit, but apparently there's a story about a BB that is somewhere lodged in your body. <laughs> Can you tell us what happened? As when you were a kid, uh, how did this BB end up in you? Well, so um, Greg, who was your sister-in-law's brother, um, <laughs> and I, we were, um, I guess you'd say, playmates, uh -huh. probably in the junior high, elementary school time frame. And, um, of course, boys play with BB guns. Uh -huh. I don't know exactly how this transpired, but he had a BB gun and I didn't. And he was chasing me throughout the house with it. Gosh. Um, either on purpose or by accident, I got cornered in a room and he took aim and, and pulled the trigger. And so it, I had jeans on at the time. It kind of went into my upper leg and, oh, gosh. and, uh, I felt it go in his, his mom sort of examined it and called my mom said, you need to go to the 
emergency room, um, but they just said it was better to leave it in than to, to remove it medically, so it's still there as far as I know. You're still fast friends today? We don't see each other that much. Uh-huh. Um, my wife actually used to work with, with Greg's wife at the bank um, right. before she yeah. came uh, to work for me, but yeah, um, yeah we're, we're friends and kind of keep in touch sporadically. So tell us a little bit about your life story. So you mentioned that you grew up in the area. You went to K-12 schools there. How did you decide on your education? Kind of like take us through your life. Just started in the Burke County Public Schools, went through that, kind of had the normal family with three sisters. I was the oldest. Three sisters? Mm -hmm. That's a lot of women in one house. Three sisters, (laughs) three daughters. That's the story of my life. (laughs) (laughs) But not a bad one. So, yeah. In fact, Debbie Clary gives the credit to some of my personality to that I've lived my whole life around women and uh-huh. learned how to tiptoe around things. But Your decision to, to pursue uh, West Point, to get yeah. a, an appointment there, take us there. That is one of the most competitive universities, colleges, higher education to get into. But you did that, and I'd like that you came back home, too, after. Well, that's... Probably a long story. Um, I applied to three universities, Davidson, Wake Forest, and the United States Military Academy. Um, Got into all three. I think I was on a waiting list at at Davidson, but was probably really maybe more leaning towards um, Wake Forest. Um, But, you know, the academy just had a draw because it's, you know, it's a free education and a great opportunity. So I went up there and visited with with my dad um, before deciding, you know, we went to um, a Mets game and did some fun things, but also, you know, met some people on the campus, including the chaplain, which I think was important to us and just felt like it was a good fit. And so went there and, and it turned out to be, a, I guess, a good, bad experience. So tell me about the good, bad. Well, um, you know, the first year obviously is challenging. You're moving a long way from home. You have limited contact with your, with your family. Um, you know, you don't, really have a phone. Your parents just can't come visit anytime you want. You can't even go home until, I think, Thanksgiving. Basically, your other cadets become your family. You're organized into units, and, um, you know, you kind of just become brothers and sisters as um, cadets, and, you, you know, you go through a lot of adversity. One of the good things about it then was that whatever company you were assigned to when you first arrived, you got to travel through with those same people in your company for four entire years. Now they, they changed that later on to where you only went two years and then switched. But that was, I think, I think a really great benefit that you kind of traveled with the same people for a four year mm-hmm. period and grew through the experience. And then those people have become you know, lifelong friends and they're, you know, we're now, nowadays, you know, you can text each other anytime you want. So yeah, we keep in touch that way. Was there a plan to make a career out of the military? I don't think that was ever my plan. And probably, I'd say a lot of cadets, you know, there, there would be only a small set of cadets that just come in thinking, this is what I want to do mm-hmm. for my whole career. Um, I did a little over six years. And, you know, you get to a point when, you know, you can retire after 20. So you think, you know, how much you got to have, there's a decision point where you say, you know, how much I've got to decide, am I going to stick this out or not? And I had always really had an interest in law school, so just decided that this was the time. And I guess we were sort of home homebodies, so we decided to um, pursue that and go back to, I went to Carolina Law School mm-hmm. and 
came back to North Carolina. Didn't really want to, I mean, I could have made more money going and staying in Raleigh or somewhere, but just decided to, <clears throat> to do the small town thing, and that's where I ended up. So you keep saying we. I assume that you mean you and Lydia. Mm-hmm. How did y'all meet? So we met in high school. She was 10th grade. I was 12th. So we, you know, we had, uh, her sister was actually my age. Um, we were in marching band together. She was just a really fun person, but we didn't have a, you know, a dating relationship at the time. So we kind of kept in touch as pen pals. You know, if you think about this was the era before the internet, you know, so, so couldn't really, you know, call that much, um, because you had to do it on a payphone. Um, of course, back in the days when you had those little AT&T calling cards that were, what, 10 cents a minute? Mm-hmm. You probably don't remember. I'm far too young to know this. <laughs> so um, we, you know, we corresponded, sent each other cards. And then in my senior year, um, I guess the summer before my senior year, you know, it would have been like her maybe rising sophomore or junior year. We just kind of um, started dating in that summer. Our first date was actually to see a Fourth of July fireworks display in Morganton, and oh. just kind of continued to to date from there in a long distance relationship throughout my senior year in college. And when I was assigned to my first military base, and I guess in February of '92, you know, we got engaged and then got married the next in. 1993 so that's great that is great and it feels like y'all have a really strong relationship and uh, now I know that you have daughters too tell me about your family life and kind of balancing being from the western part of the state and traveling back and forth well um, when I started my legislative life I guess my kids were about say 8 to 14 yeah so they were still you know all at home at the time they were homeschooled so the good thing about it was that Lydia would, she would, at the time, of course, she was just a, she was a homeschool teacher, and she would um, bring them to the legislature about maybe once every two or three weeks. Okay. And they would, you know, stay for the week and then go home. So that kind of made it nice that, you know, I wasn't, we weren't separated every week. Mm-hmm. We were just, you know, we got to spend some time together down here in Raleigh, and of course that gave them great opportunities to see all the museums and the historic things around here, and you know, they didn't necessarily hang out in the legislative building, but, you know, we get to see each other at night. Over the years, all of my kids have been pages, and so that was a fun thing for them. Um, they're all out of the house now, and the last one's graduated from college, so Lydia's really happy about them being off the payroll. Yeah. My dad told me that once, too. <laughs> so for those out there that don't know this, uh, Senator Daniel has a trailer on a campground out here near NC State over near the Hunt Horse Complex. When you had the kids into Raleigh, did you all fit into this mobile unit or were you staying somewhere else? This is the, that, this, that was the post-kids era. So in, okay. um, in the early years, actually, I used to room with um, Senator Dan Suchek. You know, yeah. Sometimes he would bring his family too. And, you know, we, we rented a condo together at one point. I see. Um, it wasn't until... I think around 2019, last latter part of 2019, that you know we didn't really have a place to stay down here, and we thought, you know, well, we've always wanted to have a camper, and this might be a way to justify it, you know. So we use that here when we're in session, and then we take it home and use it for camping when we're not in session. Okay, where's your favorite place to go camping? I'd probably say the place that we have liked the most is the New River Campground up near West Jefferson. Hmm. Okay. West Jefferson is a beautiful place to to be outdoors. 
In fact, one of the rangers there who's close to retirement, um, you know, your mm-hmm. Greg may know um, his name's Jody Kelly. So okay, um, you can ask Greg if he knows him. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about your decision in 2010 to run for the North Carolina Senate. You were part of that, how shall we say it, takeover class after the General Assembly and the Senate specifically had been in Democratic control since the late 1800s. You were actually one of a few that are still here from that 2010 class. Can you talk about your decision to run? And I presume this was your first stint in politics. Well, it was my first attempt at um, seeking elective office. Okay. <clears throat> I had been a county party chairman for four years prior to this. And I guess maybe the funny thing is that in uh, March 2009, my term was ending as party chairman. And Lydia was sort of telling me, like, this is consuming too much of your life. You know, you kind of want you to, we've done this for four years. Let's kind of get our life back. And so, you know, I did step down from that position. Well, it wasn't too much later that our former senator, Jim Jackman, who, you know, you might mm-hmm. remember. I remember Jim Sky Jackman. probably wouldn't. Um, he had to, he felt like he shouldn't run again because of his wife's um, health problems. And mm-hmm. so he had known me since I was probably 12 and knew my dad. And so he just, I guess, you know, I, I think legislators, when they decide that they don't want to do this anymore, they're kind of looking for somebody that they feel like is the right person to fill their shoes. And he recruited me and, you know, we had to think about it together and pray about it and mm-hmm. together and just felt like it was the right time. And, you know, Senator Berger and, of course, Senator Brown and some of those folks had really put a lot of effort into, um, you know, trying to win a majority. So it was actually a class of 14 of us that ran. Um, my, my seat, of course, was open. Some of them were, were not. And uh, 13 of us won. It's been a ride since. You have been a part of some of the most major pieces of legislation, tax reform, uh, criminal justice reform, which you are on the Judiciary Committee and preside over that. Uh, can you talk a little bit about just the sea change we have seen in the last 12 years? Well, I'm not sure my memory is that good. (laughs) But I I think what stands out is that from the very beginning, we had to make some very, very hard decisions as a group. One of the smart things that Senator Berger did at the beginning was, you know, he had a a lot of a new crop of people that were green. You know, we didn't know anything about legislating. Um, In fact, I would tell, you know, if if you're going to run today, if you win, you know, it's probably going to take you four years to sort of Learn, learn how to navigate the legislature well. Um, but he immediately put us all into co-chair type positions and he would put us with a senior legislator. Um, mine, I guess ours, I was with Buck Newton. He, we were mm-hmm. the rookies and he put us with Austin Allran who had been here for many years. From Hickory, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, of course, he had actually represented um, Burke County at some point in his career, maybe when it was multi-member districts, but so that you know there were a lot of tough decisions to try to balance that initial deficit um, it's like two billion dollars right mm-hmm. that you or more to, yeah. I, I think you know it ranges from two to three depending on who you talk to but as a group we were very cohesive we had to do some things that weren't popular which i think has served our class well because as you go through legislating you know you've been through some battles and you realize that um you know sometimes you just have to kind of separate your yes this might 
it'd be difficult for my political life, but it's the best thing for the people of the state. I think that's an eternal struggle for all legislators. Yeah, and all, and all of us, of course, come from different places and have different dynamics. Um, you know, one bill right now that I would say the health care bill kind of fits this mold a little bit. Where, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think some of the, the newer members are maybe struggling a little bit with, should I support this? Because I might get criticized from this angle or that angle. And some of us older people are kind of, you know, our skin is thicker at this point. Mm-hmm. And so we're not as reluctant. But. Kind of going off of that. You've been here for a while, and you, like Brian said, you've been part of really major pieces of legislation. What's something that you're really proud of that you've accomplished? Well, let's talk about some Warren Daniel bills. Um, the reason, <laughs> if you're a candidate and you, you put your signs out in state right-of-ways, it's because Warren Daniel passed a bill that authorized um, political signs to be put in state DOT right-of-ways. And, okay. of course, there's boundary li- boundaries around that. Um, but prior to that bill, you know, there was no, the DOT could just routinely sweep, sweep uh, right away. So you may hate that legislation or, or love it. Um, the copper theft bill of 2013, if you remember, remember that, yeah. that was one of my um, bills that I shepherded through. Um, you know, I've done some pro-life legislation um, that I'm, you know, happy to have worked on. Also the um, voter ID, I guess, you know, I was instrumental in doing a lot of that and of course working with Joel Ford you know it's tied up in litigation now but Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of an across the aisle piece of legislation Um, expunction bills or something that Senator McKissick as you mentioned criminal Mm -hmm. justice reform Um, we started that in a small way by um, starting to increase opportunities for people to get expungements in certain circumstances Mm -hmm. and uh, that was Senator McKissick and I used to work who's a democrat for those who don't know yeah um you know we used to work on those together and of course eventually that grew into when senator Britt came along and wanted to even go further than than what we had we had sort of nibbled around the edges i guess and he went full-blown criminal justice reform in the i guess it was either was it last year 2021 Mm -hmm. can we talk a little bit about senator mckissick i had brought this up to you in a conversation in the general assembly a couple years ago Senator McKissick, former Senator McKissick, black liberal Democrat from downtown Durham, white conservative from rural Burke County, you. And he said that you were one of his favorite legislators to work with for several reasons. One, you would always hear him out, whether it was an election bill or criminal justice reform, that if he went to you enough times, he might even be able to get you to to come around on an issue. But then he told me a story of he was in Morganton for an NAACP event and you called him up. You had learned he was there and you said you wanted him to come stay at your house. And he had some accommodations there at the Mm -hmm. hotel, but it just meant so much to him. And so I want to talk about your demeanor and how you go about engaging your colleagues. You're so even keeled. I know you're conservative and I know very much Republican, but you seem to have this way about talking to everyone that I think Folks like Senator McKissick appreciate. You know, I grew up being taught to respect everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, Senator McKissick being a lawyer, you know, he was in private practice. I was in private practice. We have a lot in common in terms of, of that. And lawyers realize that maybe sometimes more than other members that there's always two sides to an issue. And so like Senator Tillman used to say, no matter how thin you slice the bologna, there's always two sides. <laughs> um, 
So I think um, in terms of criminal justice reform, Senator McKissick and I just, we both thought that people need a second chance because everybody makes mistakes. Sometimes people's early mistakes are greater than others Mm -hmm. and they they cause uh, criminal ramifications, but we shouldn't let that define their lives. And so, um, you know, we just wanted to find the reasonable things that we could do that, that could, you know, get legislative support and public support. And obviously there's still some things that are off limits in terms of that from, you know, certain crimes that we just, you know, we can't um, overlook. But he was, he wasn't a caustic person. You know, we, I guess you'd say he was an honest liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were others like that too. I mean, there were a lot of people in the early days that were Democrats that I, you know, like to work with. Um, Angela Bryant was one. I, in fact, I even worked some with Ellie Kinnaird um, mm-hmm. on some things, but things were a little bit more genteel in those days. Yeah. You ever get beat up for any of your uh, second chance stuff, like soft on crime, anything like that? Um, no, I don't think anybody's ever made that a campaign issue. Okay. So. Because I've been doing this for a while, and I remember, this is back when Democrats were in control, expungement bills were so controversial. And they would just get watered down to nothing. Mm-hmm. And then you guys come in and do some bold stuff on criminal justice reform. And it, well, you know, actually, one of my good friends is Skip Stam, you know, and mm-hmm. he just hated expungement bills. Yeah. So it was always hard to kind of navigate that through the house with, with him over there. Victims' issues are close to my heart. And you, as the judiciary chair, have really done a lot for sexual assault, domestic violence victims with funding and also the rape kit bills. Can you kind of talk about how you became passionate about that? Interesting, in terms of my um, legislative career, probably about six years ago, I, you know, I think Senator Berger was trying to track me into transportation, but I, in terms of budgeting and transportation policy, but I guess I just sort of veered away from that because I felt like um, judiciary and JPS issues were more in my wheelhouse. And so, you know, I got to start JPS budget with back when Senator Randleman was here mm-hmm. and um, Senator Newton. And now, of course, Senator Britt and I chair the JPS budget. You know, we have a lot of compassion for victims. Of course, we had Marcy's Law, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, was a constitutional amendment that mm-hmm. passed. And, um, you know, last year, in the last couple of years have been the first time we really, the big chairs gave us resources we look for problems that need to be solved and where we think resources could be best used and tried to put them there. Rumors are that Attorney General Josh Stein is going to run for governor. I think that's the worst uh, secret in town in 2024. Any plans for a Senator Warren Daniel to look at higher office, Attorney General, or otherwise? So going back to my even time in the Army, you know, I felt like that um, my personality was geared more to being an executive officer than a commanding officer. Um, so I've kind of liked to fill those roles, you know, like, you know, sort of work under Senator Berger and try to help accomplish a lot of his, his goals. Um, having said that, you know, I, I, I'm not going to commit to doing anything or to not. Um, I would say that the fact, the, the thought of having a hundred counties to campaign in sounds very, um, daunting, mm-hmm. but you have a camper. I do have a camper. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I, in fact, I guess if you'd say had I thought about something more in the past, I, I would say it would be more like, you know, a pellet judiciary type okay. um, position than, than the ones you mentioned, but no plans currently. 
What do you think of Senator Danny Britt as Attorney General? I think he'd be a dynamo. <laughs> Incredible campaigner, right? Yeah, I think if he, he would probably tell you he would beat me if he ran. So. <laughs> if we both ran. Is that true, though? You think he would? No, I can't say that, no. no okay, <laughs> all right. Okay, so you know this question is coming. If you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in our politics today, what would it be? So I'm going to give you one that's kind of non-serious and one that's serious, I guess. So okay. the first one I would Clearly say... Clearly you have two wands. Go ahead. Right, okay. All right. If, if you'll give me two wands okay. or a, a wand with two uses. Okay. Then the first one I would say that state senators need four-year terms because we have twice, the con- more than twice the constituents of all these House members. Why we get paid the same, I don't know. If we were paid per capita, we would, we would double their pay, but... Um, and the second one I think that's more serious is, um, I guess as a lawyer, legislator, judiciary chair, um, if I could wave my wand, I would eliminate or at least, um, somehow make judges not be super legislators and to sort of stay in their lane and, um, not try to legislate what they, what policy they think is, is best as if they were a legislator. Is there a way to check that? I think we need to elect judges who are originalists and who um, sort of respect the boundaries between the different branches. And, you know, you know, cause I think what, what gets lost maybe to the general public is that, you know, the legislature is a messy body. Mm-hmm. It's 170 people all who are all successful. You know, they all have strong opinions. They're all smart people. And we get together and we do battle over a period of weeks or months and months and months or years. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, committee after committee, um, you know, floor debates, floor votes. And then, of course, to get two chambers to agree is sometimes a huge challenge. Um, and then to, to get the governor to sign something into law is another challenge. I think that just sometimes members of the judiciary don't take, you know, they treat it as if, well, if I was a legislator, I would have done this. And so I think I will. Um, not realizing how much the mechanics of of the General Assembly had to engage in order to pass a policy. Well, Senator Warren Daniel, we appreciate everything you do in the General Assembly, everything you do for your district. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Sky and Brian. I've really enjoyed it. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. I find the Senate Judiciary Committee to be a fascinating committee. Talk about a committee that has done so much work on criminal justice reform. And I think a lot of us, just because of the personality of Senator Danny Britt, who is just a force of nature, and his co-chair is Senator Warren Daniel. And you can tell from this interview that he is very low-key doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. He just kind of has that even keel to him. But an important 
important legislator, especially when it comes to judicial matters. We really appreciate him sitting down with us. We've been talking to him for weeks about getting on the podcast. And thanks to him for coming on. And a special thank you to Lydia for making sure that Senator Daniel came on the podcast. Tweet of the week. This week's Tweet of the Week is brought to you by Self Promotion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So this week's tweet is from Todd Johnson. He's at Todd Johnson NC35. And the tweet reads Maybe getting rid of this desk ornament today. So many choices with equally qualified candidates. Goodbye, old friend. Over a year has been longer than enough. Hashtag NC poll, hashtag NCGA, and hashtag. Tweet of the week. And the picture is a picture of the Senate ox meter, which goes to whoever talks on and on and on during the Senate. I'm not sure if you get to give it away to say that you stop talking if you're still tweeting about it. I, I don't know how that works exactly. But he did give it to Senator Heiss. This was Wednesday night when the debate about Medicaid expansion, the debate about the Parents' Bill of Rights. So there were a lot of people talking in the Senate, which is known to be a very concise chamber. Yeah, and this tradition has been around since I've been in the General Assembly. The Senate does not like people to go on and on and on. And there's always been kind of this award given. I believe this particular oximeter was made by Senator Stan Bingham. I could be wrong about that. Retired Senator. You're right. It says that on the award. Okay, it does. All right. So Senator Bingham uh, made this. I think it has a stick of dynamite on (laughs) all sorts of little contraptions. If you knew Senator Bingham, he was quite a guy. But yeah, I remember Tony Rand, Senator Rand used to give out their ox meter uh, every week, and it always kind of a question is the what the criteria was, but they usually seem to nail it. And and, and of course, Senator Heiss did take to the floor a lot this week, even quoted some scripture now and again. So he kind of got into a pastoral mode, and we'll see who gets it next. But what about that uh, hashtag tweet of the week? That was kind of interesting, right? I guess from now on, if you would like Tweet of the Week, you can hashtag Tweet of the Week and we will see your tweets and maybe this will continue to work out for folks. Maybe it won't. Let's roll the dice. (laughs) Congratulations, Senator Johnson. We are now a good three weeks into the legislative session. Yep. And something weird has been happening during this entire three-week period, and it doesn't seem to be letting up anytime soon. Okay, what is that? People are coming up to you in the (laughs) building and are introducing themselves to you, people that I thought you had known for years and years (laughs) and years, but will be sitting down and someone will tap you or they'll just come up and say, hey, I don't know if we know each other, but I'm Bruce Mildworth, and I work (laughs) for the North Carolina School Boards Association. So what happened with Bruce specifically? Let's pause here. I was walking up the stairs in the legislative office building, and he was walking down the stairs. I said hi, and then he's like, I'm sorry, I don't believe we've met. And I thought he was doing like a bit, a joke. So I was like, oh yeah, never met you. And he's like, no, I'm Bruce Mildworth. I represent the School Boards Association. I was like... I was just staring at him like, I can't tell. This joke isn't funny, you know? And then I was like, 
sky and he's like oh my gosh sky you look so different i was like we've known each other for five years bruce (laughs) and then he's like oh well your hair looks different i was like same face though and then i was like i this has been sufficiently awkward i have to leave this situation and so i walked off but it happened to me a couple more times this week and it's just kind of awkward. Yeah, you said Laura Leslie. Yes. Uh, now, if you remember this guy, a uh, couple months back, you and I went to a conference in Durham, yes. NCTIA, and someone on our board of directors, who again, we've known for years, came up and introduced themselves to you. Yeah, a couple people have been like, oh, your hair is shorter. I cut my hair and like, it's been a few years. <laughs> And I've seen all of these people since then. (laughs) It's gotten to the point where I keep questioning myself to Brian, like, what is wrong with me? What do I look like that people can't recognize me? It's almost like a practical joke is being played on you. Yeah, it does feel like that. And it feels like something, a certain someone whose name rhymes with Schmeyan Schmuas (laughs) would do. Come up and introduce yourself to me, everyone. I know this is going to happen now. Yeah. So on Wednesday afternoon, I was in Senate Judiciary Committee, and there was an expunction bill that Senator Britt was presenting. You had texted me that there was a fun exchange between Senator Britt and a certain lobbyist from the ACLU, right? Daniel Bowles from the ACLU got up, and he began his remarks on this expunction bill by saying, Mostly my comments are going to be just to praise Senator Britt for the work that he's doing. And then he had some criticisms after that. So he says that. And then Senator Sanderson says, I would just caution you on praising Senator Britt too much. A little bit of time passes. And then Senator Britt asks if he can ask Daniel a question. So Daniel comes back up to the podium and Senator Britt asks him, if he can use the recording of what Daniel said and run it in an ad. (laughs) Oh, Senator Brett was so proud of himself for saying that, right? Did he? He was smiling. Yeah, that's good stuff. What do you think Senator Sanderson meant by don't praise Senator Brett too much? Probably similar to when Senator Berger was talking about Senator Britt calling him, what do he call himself? Superman or something? <laughs> Miracle worker. Yeah, for like a year. <laughs> All right, Sky. Well, let's rest up. I have a feeling next week is going to be another busy week. As always, we are so grateful that y'all listen. You come up to us at the General Assembly and tell us that you like the podcast. It really means a lot to us. And we are appreciative of everyone who is a subscriber, who listens, downloads. We really thank you for supporting us. We will talk to you next week. But in the meantime, please remember to do politics better.